to Marquee Backstage All Access. I'm your host, Julie Milam. Thank you for joining us today as we dive deep into the lives and music of our guests. Today, we are joined by an artist well-known for her pipes of steel and timeless appeal. She sold out shows around the world, and she was recently inducted into the Grand Ole Opry. Without further ado, this is Mandy Barnett. Mandy, my fellow Tennessean, it is so great to have you on the show today. Good to be here. Tell me (laughs) about young Mandy Barnett. Tell me what it was like to grow up in East Tennessee. Well, um, young Mandy, I'm from Crossville, Tennessee, and my mother discovered early on that I had some musical talent, so she made sure that I had uh, opportunities. She really cultivated that in me, and so as I was growing up, she would have make sure that I was singing at the local fair and the local churches and the political things. Uh, everyone got along a lot better back then. <laughs> so I would do the Republican rallies and the Democrat <laughs> rallies, and no one got mad. Um, and anyway, it was uh, it was just a really great, great childhood. Uh, wonderful, supportive people. I had a wonderful family. Um, I'm an only child, and but I had cousins. <clears throat> and I, I grew up out in the country in a rural rural part of Cumberland County. And um, I love that. I got to live out in, in the middle of nowhere and and um, hike through the woods and and uh, make mud pies and, and have a lot of animals and horses and fun and four-wheelers and stuff like that. But at the same time, it was, I, I had two lives. Um, because I had the musical life, and that started early, uh, you know, like I said, five years old maybe, but it, it kept going. At 10 years old, I started um, singing in, in Pigeon Forge, in Knoxville and Pigeon Forge, and won a contest at Dollywood. And so um, I worked there for a couple of years and went probably about as far as I could in East Tennessee, and then we started going to Nashville. And I, my mother sent a tape to Justin Tubb, who was Ernest Tubb's son, and I was asking him if I could be featured on the show. Well, she didn't hear anything back. So she called up the, uh, uh, the, the record shop and said, hey, I sent a tape, and I want I wanna know if you will put her on the show. And he said, well, send another tape. I lost it or whatever. And she thought, oh, okay. So she sent another tape. Well, sure enough, we heard back from him. And he asked me to come do the show. And that turned into a regular thing. And of course, the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, Midnight Jamboree, that's this, I think the second oldest show in the world. Mm-hmm. And it played every night at midnight after the Grand Ole Opry. So I started getting to work with some great musicians um, and share the bill with some Opry legends like uh, Dale Reeves, Justin Tubb, George Hamilton IV was around a lot. Carol Lee Cooper, she was uh, one of the, the Opry uh, background singers. She was a host. Um, it was just really a cool experience doing radio. And But then I would go back home to Crossville. I went to school. Um, when I wasn't singing, I 
played with my cousins. We rode our four wheelers and had a regular life. So it was really, for me, it was really the best of both worlds. And I have to uh, give my mother a lot of credit for that. Um, You know, both of my parents were were instrumental in that. My dad provided the the means for us to do it. Now he was out partying and hunting and carrying on. But <laughs> you guys go on. Right. So he he was fine with us taking off and doing a girls, you know, weekend in Knoxville or whatever. And um but it was it was good. It was good. I'm really, really happy with the way my childhood turned out. Absolutely. Did you realize at the time the challenge of balance? When you were at school, did kids talk about your life outside of school? Did they talk about your professional life, or did you really keep them separate? I kind of kept it separate. I would sing at school, but it was just basically, you know, like for talent shows, I kept everything. It was mostly about schoolwork and just the dynamics of dealing with other kids every now and then. I think it would shock them at times when I would do like a talent contest, and then I would have this other kind of persona and like, you know like that's so weird that's Mandy when you know she was just out on the monkey bars right. and <laughs> whatever screaming through the the playground mm-hmm. um but if so. I spend the night with you and we're in fourth grade and your yeah. mom comes in and goes hey I need to interrupt the game for a minute because you've got an opportunity to play some midnight jamboree right we need to make sure that we don't make other plans and you're like got it and your friends like, what does that mean? Like, what does that even? Yeah, they w- there's no way they would have really understood what that meant. Right. But um, so in that way, yeah. But um, but I, I was okay with it. You know, it made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess because I've I've done I've done it basically my whole life. It was just something we enjoyed. My my aunt would come along and my cousins. <laughs> And it was just a wonderful way for us to connect and bond. We met great friends over the years mm-hmm. and had wonderful experiences. And and it was just, you know, lots of great memories. Well, and Cumberland County still loves you. <laughs> Cumberland County is a beautiful place. It's mm-hmm. a great place to live, great place to grow up. Uh, it, it just, you know, scenically, it's, it's beautiful, too. It is. But yeah. when you drive by there... You see the sign on the side of the road that says "Home of Mandy Barnett." <laughs> <laughs> Birthplace, well, I guess. You know the Tennessee Pathways <clears throat> markers. They did a nice uh, to do for me um, a couple of years ago. Uh, they they honor different people from Tennessee uh, with a Tennessee Pathways marker to just kind of show where they're they're from and what they what they might have contributed to music and and whatever. So that was a real exciting thing for me. It is. Yeah. But then it was time to move to Nashville. Yes. Yes. And through um, adolescence, so, okay, so through Dollywood, adolescence, Ernest Tubb Record Shop, I got a record deal. And um, I was working with uh, these great producers that had started out in L.A. working with Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and Sammy Davis and, and Nancy Sinatra and some the Rat Pack. Mm-hmm. And they moved to Nashville. I'm talking about Billy Strange and Jimmy Bowen. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Jimmy Bowen ended up being one of the uh, most influential record executives, Mm -hmm. record producers in Nashville of all time. Mm -hmm. And um, so Billy discovered me, took me to Jimmy Bowen. He signed me. And I 
started doing recording sessions. He wasn't really sure what to do with me. I was so young, but he 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 signed me and he gave me a great opportunity to to learn how to record, how to how to work with musicians, how to look for songs and so I guess it was like a developmental period in my life. It was a real I didn't understand because I wanted to put a record out. I wanted a single and I wanted to be a right. a star. Right. And I wanted it right then. I couldn't understand his his hesitation and you know, I just d- didn't understand what that was. But looking back on it, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't ready at all. But I learned so much. So from from 12 to 18. Mm-hmm. I, I worked with, with Jimmy Bowen with uh, at first Universal Records and then Capitol Records. Mm-hmm. And then the Not stage became Nashville. yours. <laughs> yes. The stage did become all it, yours. It did. I, I, I moved to Nashville right after high school. Um, I did, actually, I did a, a production of Pump Boys and Dinettes right before I left. I was the, at the Cumberland County Playhouse and in Crossville, they said, would you give us a, you know, two or three months before you move to Nashville? And I said, sure. So, um, so we did that. And then, um, and I moved to Nashville in July of 1993. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge move. And um, (laughs) I tell people I, I, I moved to Nashville with a, I had a couch, a double barrel shotgun, an ashtray and a deviled egg platter. <laughs> All the things a southern girl needs. You've got a place to sleep, yes. something to eat off of. Mm-hmm. That's right. Keep yourself occupied. Yeah, good stuff. My aunt thought she she said, "Hey, you might have a party," so she made sure I had a deviled egg. Platter. You had everything ready for her, is what it was. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Get that house set up for me. I'll be there next week. <laughs> so, so yes. Yeah, so I moved, and um, you know, it was it was bittersweet. It was hard. I missed my mother and mm-hmm. and dad, and missed all the folks at home, and and I had no real idea how to take care of myself. It was you know, it was kind of hit. I was to. a kid, yeah. So it was a little little uh, iffy. You want here to and wing there. a prayer at this yes. point? Yes, but. Um, you but you know, context. it was it was a good it was such a good lesson. Sometimes you have to sink or swim. And so I just I did you don't know what you don't know and I didn't know to be scared, so I did it. I was just, you know, had had the courage of a young person that was hungry and, and really wanted it. So um so that was a great thing. But then shortly after I ended up losing my record deal and then I was really kind of floundering around for a few months. But, you know, life has a way of, of turning around. Um, you know, when you think, oh, my goodness, this is like the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Sometimes good things can just happen out of nowhere. And that happened for me. I, I had received a random call one day from someone I didn't even know. And <laughs> it was like at 6 in the morning. And, of course, I, you know, at 18 years old, I was <laughs> no not awake. to be up at 6 yeah. in the morning. And so he said, Mandy, this is so-and-so. I'm so-and-so's uncle. And I said, okay. And he said, if you read the paper, and I'm like, I don't read the paper. And he said, there's some kind of Patsy Cline something or another over at the Grand Ole Opry, and I think you ought to do it. And and uh, I said, okay. Uh, well, thank you. I'll give him a call and see, you know, see what's going on. And so I went back to sleep for a couple of hours, and um, 
got up and started thinking about it, called my mother and mm -hmm. and called over at the Opry and they said they were doing some kind of audition for Patsy Klein and I didn't exactly, I thought it was really something for Opryland. Mm -hmm. That's what I- The theme park. Yes, the theme park. Mm -hmm. I thought it was some kind of show and that basically they were looking for someone to, to sing her songs or dress up like her or whatever. Um, so anyway, they said that I needed a resume and an eight by ten glossy. What? <laughs> Never had to do this before. Right, and and uh, uh, some sheet music or karaoke, karaoke soundtracks, and I didn't have any of it. Uh, so I had to had to scramble, ran to Hickory Hollow Mall, and <laughs> got a, a a tape. It was a tape with, there actually wasn't one hit on it. It was all the uh, kind of obscure mm -hmm. tunes. So I ended up actually, well, I got there. I don't want to skip ahead, but I got there. And, you know, there were like 450 women all dressed up as Patsy Cline Ooh. in cocktail dresses and cowgirl outfits. And, um, and of course, they were singing the hits. But um, I was 110 in line, and I... I scribbled down just on a piece of paper formerly on Capitol Records, and I had a picture of me that, the latest picture is awful, it's of me standing in a graveyard. Okay. But that was the latest yeah. and most current, so um, uh, so I just hung out and watched and spent a good part of the time trying to figure out what was going on <laughs> and what we were doing. <laughs> what I'm in the middle of. Right. And because I, I was like, what is this for? And they're like, this is Patsy Cline. And I'm like, I know, but what is, like, what? Mm -hmm. And so finally someone told me this is going to be, this is a new musical and it's going to be at the Ryman Auditorium. And I said, well, I thought that place was shut down. And they said, it, it yeah. has been, yeah. but they've renovated it. And now this is going to be the, 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 grand, big, reopening. the grand reopening mm -hmm. after 25 years. And so then the magnitude of that hit me. And, um, Did that make you nervous? Um, it kind of made me determined because at that point I was, like I said, I'm too young and stupid to be nervous. <laughs> naive. <laughs> naive. Yeah, we'll naive. Naive. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I was there, you know, till the end of the day and then they asked me what size shoe I wore and um, I thought that was a good sign. Mm -hmm. But... Um, they made me wait for a couple of weeks. Weeks? Yeah, okay. a couple of weeks. That was good for you. It was <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, they they called me up and told me I had the part. And that really was, it just changed everything. Mm -hmm. It was a huge moment. It was a huge life. moment. Yeah. I was 18 years old. And they opened in 1994. And it was just sellout after sellout after sellout. And we just couldn't do enough shows. And it was one of, it was just so exciting. And I got to meet the greatest people in the world. Mm -hmm. I got to meet uh, so many of Patsy Klein's peers, her family, mm -hmm. her kids, grandkids, great grandkids. Um, it's just really uh, remarkable how someone can affect your life in so many ways, and I never knew her. Right. She passed away in 1963, and I was born in 1975. So um, to have never met her, but her, her music just had such a profound effect on me. I just loved her so much, and she's just one of my biggest influences. 
Um, but it's it's really really great all the all the wonderful things that have come from my association with Patsy Klein. Well, and it has stayed with you it for has. the rest of your life, right? Even it will be. now, yes, absolutely. Some is. of your closest friends too, I think, came from that era of oh, your life. Absolutely. So I met you when you were doing Always Patsy Klein. Yes. I worked for Asylum Records, an imprint of Electra. That's right. You had just been signed. Mm -hmm. We brought radio stations into the market, multiple radio stations. Yes. And every single week we would take them to see the Always Patsy Klein show. That's right. We had dinner together. Hermitage Hotel with the radio I did a show before I know. the show. Yes, it was like did. a 30 minute show for the radio people. That's and then right. the we would get the Hermitage and then we'd cart them over to the Ryman and then do a show. It was a lot of singing. It was a lot of singing, <laughs> a lot of smiling. A lot of smiling, a lot, lot of smiling, a lot of singing. I was doing 27 songs and always Patsy Cotton and then probably doing 10 just beforehand. Beforehand. And yeah. sitting through dinner. Sitting through dinner. Costume changes, outfit changes. Yeah. That's right. All the woo and sway of the music business. <laughs> yes. But how did you deal with the balance? Again, you, you have to find the balance because you are headlining a major show at the Ramen Auditorium. And you know what? You have an opportunity to get another record deal and, and do Mandy again. Right. Yes. And that was that was something I really wanted because mm -hmm. um, as much as I loved doing the musical, it was incredible an incredible experience. I didn't feel that I wanted wanted to tour with it. Mm -hmm. um, I loved doing it at the Ryman Auditorium where Patsy herself had performed. And there's just so many great, great reasons to do it in Nashville. But I wanted to move on with my recording career. And so I was able to make a, a really, it's my first record, real, real record um, as Mandy Barnett um, with Kyle Lenning and Bill Schnee. And that really was just a, an incredible experience for me. We, it was a huge critical success, too, and got me basically out to be able to, to start touring on my own and doing appearances as, as myself. And um, it was really, really a great, great time. And then from there, I ended up shifting over to Sire Records with Seymour Stein, <laughs> Great Seymour Stein, who um, was a, a based out of New York, mm -hmm. and I made an album with uh, my hero Owen Bradley. Yes, of course, who produced Patsy Cline, Brenda Lee, uh, all the greats: Jack Green, Conway Twitty, Loretta, um, uh, Kitty Wells. It was just mm -hmm. the, the pioneer and architect of the Nashville sound. And that was just, that was a dream come true to get to work with him and get to work with the A-Team and all those great musicians that had recorded with Elvis and Roy Orbison and Johnny Cash mm -hmm. and Patsy and all of them. So I had like this 20-year period where I got to work with these unbelievably famous musicians that had played on every record I had ever loved. Yes. And so that has been... Um, that is one of that really means the world to me that I got to do that. Well, it's so special too because not only were you inspired by them and you looked <clears throat> up to all right. of those individuals, but you didn't just meet them. You worked with them. You became right. friends with them. So the dream didn't just come true. You lived it out with right. them. I did. And they called you and they asked you to participate and be a part of projects and sessions. And they thought the same of you that you grew up thinking of them. <laughs> 
which was amazing to watch unfold and come together. But since then, you've done even bigger things, things that you probably never planned or expected. Yes. And one of them, one of the the biggest things or the biggest thing that's ever happened to me happened recently. And it was on my birthday. Connie Smith invited me to become a member of the Grand Ole Opry. And that was just, it was just unbelievable. I'll, I was so shocked. She came out on stage <laughs> with a card. And I swear, I thought she had bought me a card. A birthday card. I thought she bought me a birthday card. <laughs> She's interrupting yeah. the show for a minute to just <laughs> hand me a card she could give me backstage. I can be, especially now, I'm way, I think I was a lot more street smart back then. <laughs> I'm, I'm re- pretty gullible now. <laughs> but anyway, she came out there with, with a card and, and sang happy birthday to me and started talking about how I'd been playing on the Opry stage for nearly three decades and how I was one of their, their, uh, how I'd always felt like family. And, and I thought, oh my goodness, is she getting ready to ask me to become a member? <laughs> and it was just, it blew me away. And then my induction was November the 2nd. Uh, Connie Smith and Marty Stewart inducted me, and it's just been so incredible. Well, it's definitely a long time coming, totally overdue, but completely deserved. It was worth the wait. Absolutely worth the wait. Absolutely. But you did something else, too, with a new project that you have right now that's a little different for (laughs) Mandy Barnett. You know, I did. During the pandemic, I was lucky to have a couple of albums come out. It was, I was, we had a couple of albums in the can before 2020. And one of them was a jazz record that I recorded with an incredible arranger, one of the most famous arrangers mm-hmm. in music, Sammy Nestico. He was 95 years old. And the producer, Fred Mullen, asked him if he would consider uh, doing a couple of arrangements. And he was like, oh, Fred, I'm so old. I'm just, you know, he said, I don't know if I can do it. And he said, well, okay. He said, well, why don't you just give it some thought and maybe try one? Mm-hmm. Well, he started with one. And he said, hey, I finished this song, and I think I'm going to do another one. <laughs> well, two turned into four. And within two or three months we had all 10 songs arranged. Amazing. And But this man had, had done this countless times uh, with the Count Basie Orchestra, Bar- Barbara Streisand, Frank Sinatra. Uh, he was uh, the band leader during the, uh, the Kennedy and, and Johnson years at the White House. Just the, the contribution that he made to music, recording, arrangements, uh, people who are in band. I mean, they still... Mm-hmm they still use his charts to this day. So I got to make a record with another person that I looked up to. And um, it has ended up being my most successful record to date. It's called Every Star Above. Mm -hmm. And it's with a 60-piece orchestra. And we cut it live with this beautiful orchestra at Ocean Way with these gorgeous arrangements. all the songs are from the album Lady in Satin by Billie Holiday, which was a very instrumental record in my life. Um, so it was just incredible to get to do this 
beautiful record with the best players, best best musicians. Everyone was excited to be there mm-hmm. and to get to play Sammy Nestico's arrangements and, and to make a record because pe- you don't. It's rare to be able to go in and do a record like that. It really is anymore. Anymore. Yes. Anymore. Mm-hmm. And the way people record is different. People tend to um, kind of piece things together a lot of times because it's economically it it works better well, and it's easier to coordinate too when it's, you've got that many pieces to right. fit together on a timeline that's very sensitive. Right. But there's something about being in one room together with a conductor and it all going down live. And that is one thing that I have learned from working with the greats. They did it right then. And, you know, if you didn't get it right, you did it again. Mm-hmm. But it was it was just a wonderful experience and I'm so proud of that record. Um, we have it out on and vinyl as well. Uh, Bill Schnee recorded and mixed it. It just Back is, together with Bill. It's just it's a beautiful album, and I'm just so proud of of that and proud of my. It was Sammy Nestico's last record. He he passed away a year ago, mm-hmm. and uh, but he 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 really just was so thrilled with it and so thrilled to have a project on his way out. He left his mark. Yeah, and he did it with you. So I'll tell you right now. It, to a musician, having a project is like medicine. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. I've seen it time and time again where folks have been sick. And, you know, when you when you give them a task of doing something they love, they rally. And it's, it's really cool. Well, you make us all rally. <laughs> and I'm mesmerized by you and all the things you've done. Thank but you. all the lives that live on through you, which <clears throat> is amazing. And we're so Thank excited you. to have you share that with us today. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure being here. If you would like to watch the full televised episode of Mandy Barnett, please visit our YouTube channel at Marquee Backstage. You can follow Mandy on Instagram at Mandy Barnett Music, and you'll definitely want to stream all of her music on Spotify and Apple Music. We invite you to follow us on social media at Marquee Backstage, and you can find me at Backstage Jewels. I'm your host, Julie Milam, and I'll meet you here next week for more Marquee Backstage All Access.